everybody, it's Patty. I'm just back with a quick reminder to let everybody know that this is actually part two of our interview with Mark Wampler, who is the racing manager and bloodstock agent for Pocket Aces Racing. So if this is your first time tuning in, or if this is the episode you're catching, make sure you go back to last week and listen to part one first. Um, If you do, they're both pretty long episodes, so make sure you grab a snack, grab some water, and sit down. Um, Make sure that if you're listening in your car, that you are careful when you swap over to the next episode. Definitely don't want you guys getting in trouble. But sit back, enjoy, make sure you have subscribed to our page on Spotify, make sure you're following us on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, make sure you go over to our YouTube channel. We're going to be releasing new projects and new features in the coming weeks, and we're definitely excited for you guys to see those. Um, But other than that, thank you so much for tuning back in and enjoy part two of our interview with Mark Wampler. So let's let's dig into uh, our, our alternate method of buying horses. You know, it's it's you know, what what you've talked about is is incredibly time intensive, especially when you're looking at uh, you know the Keeneland September sale when there's four thousand plus horses going through the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you can't see them all uh, right. by going to the barns, and uh, you know you you spend on horses you you like or kind of like you know, the ones that don't get just X'd out immediately you spend a great deal of time looking them over when you're when you're looking at them at the barn so right. it's impossible for you to look at every single horse yeah um that that way so let's talk about buying out back and, and how how that's different how it's a challenge how sometimes maybe it's um you know we, we've had some great we have found some great right. great uh we had some great wins buying out back too so let's talk about that a little bit yeah, um, you know, I think when we first started Pocket Aces Racing, I, I would have been firm in this is how we need to do it. This is how I need to evaluate these horses, the ways we have been talking about, but it's time and labor intensive. I can't look, you know, if you can get a big enough head start, you can look at quite a few horses that way. But what happens is invariably as you get deeper and deeper into the sale, they start coming quicker and quicker and quicker and you just can't keep up the pace. And, and I, you know, I feel like, you know, we're always, everybody's trying to grow and learn. I, I would have felt when we first started our company that I've got to look at these horses this way every time. The, you know, and to be I, fair, we were only buying one horse a year that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was part <laughs> of it too. But, you know, I had always noticed that the, the Florida pinhook guys, I wouldn't see them out back in the barns looking at horses. Well, I would, but not as much. What those guys would do is they spend a lot of time in the back rings, just seeing them for the first time back in the back and deciding whether or not they're going to buy these horses. And that is a lot more efficient if you can do it. You will get to see a lot more horses. We've actually done a hybrid approach lately is where we'll hire people to a short list out back for us while I stay up front looking at more horses coming up so I can see as many as possible. I was a little leery in the beginning doing it that way because I was out of my comfort zone. Then we started doing it and gosh, some of our best horses have come that way, you know, um, So it's worked out. I think where you need to be to be able to do that is, you know, I explained the Irish way and those kind of things. And, 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 you know, I could spend 
we could make a whole podcast about that, you know, and the, I have just touched on the tip of the iceberg. There's a, there's a million other things uh, to talk about as far as that goes. What I needed to do was spend decades honing that to where I had the ability to come. So I don't think you can just, I don't think it would be wise to just start looking that way. I think you need years and years and years of experience before you can start to even think about deciding whether or not you're going to buy this horse when you've just seen it and it's going to sell in 10, 10 or 15 minutes, you know? So I, I, first it was a change, but we needed to be more efficient. Uh, I was nervous about it, but all in all, I mean, that's how we bought Temple City Terror. You know, I didn't see her days in advance, didn't see her a second, third time. I saw her in the back, but I think I had to spend years and years and years seeing tens of thousands of horses the way I described before I was able to come to the sales and look at one that way and, and, and be able to buy a good horse. Uh, I think, you know, just kind of touching on one thing that you said earlier, you know, that, that, that back ring, uh, when they first come up, that is a tremendous place to look at a horse, you know, obviously there's a lot of horses in there, but you can get, you can see them walking frontward and backward. You can get them to stand up. It's the most level ground on all of Keeneland and, and you're seeing them all, you know, kind of one right after the other, right after the other, right after yeah. the other. So yeah. it is, you know, and, but, and you're still looking at them. You're still employing that same methodology as you examine that horse. Yeah, that, 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 that's a great point. You're first thing you're checking the size, scope and strength. Yeah. And then you're looking, walking and, and all that. So. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I get the opportunity doing that way to do everything I need to do. I get to watch them walking at me. I get to watch them walk away from me. I get to see them stood up. I get to see them walk in a circle, but I just have to do it. And, and I think what you have to have the ability to do is really focus. It, I, I feel like after we've looked at horses at the sales, like I'm mentally like I've taken the SAT or something because you have to shut all this out you know usually when you're in the barns there's stuff going on around you but it's a lot there's a you know they're they're auctioning horses there's there's speakers you know uh, there's people cutting in front of you there's horses getting ready to I, I'm surprised I hadn't been killed looking at horses that way uh, because I'm so focused on what I'm looking at you know and and maybe that's where the experience comes because I do get all the looks I need the big difference is, uh, is focus, you know, the, the tuning, everything, there's a lot more going on around you. You need to be able to tune it out, you know? So you're right. I, I do. Uh, and, and one other benefit to that way, and this is probably me personally, is I can, I can over, I sometimes overthink things. The buying out back, you need to rely a little bit more on your gut instincts and you don't have time to overthink it. And that kind of brings up the vetting issue, too, because you need to vet a different way uh, when you're doing that. There's not enough time to consult. with. Usually, I, sometimes I can do it, but usually there's not, a, there's not enough time to consult with Dr. Bell before they, they, they get up there and sell. So what we do is if, if I found something that I like, I go to the consigner and they show me the vet report. They show me the throat report. Ideally, hopefully there's nothing on it. It's completely clean and I don't have to worry about it. But I have learned over the years working with Dr. 
bell so much that, you know, that's where it comes in the experience of knowing what we can live with. You know, if I see mild sesamoiditis on that, on there, I know we can just kick them out for 30 days and it shouldn't be a problem. And, and I've got to make the decision whether this, if they have any vet issue, whether it's a problem or not. And so when we're doing it that way, I err on the side of caution. The things that Dr. Bell might say that he would live with, I, w- I won't live with. I won't make that call. I will only make the calls on the things that I know of and feel comfortable about. If it's some new thing that a horse has that I've never heard of, or if it's anything on the borderline, we just have to go on to the next horse. We just, we have to accept that this is the way we've decided to look at horses today. And we have to be a lot more critical on the vet issues. We can't, you know, if I could call Dr. Bell and he said this was okay, then we'd do it. But, and I've, I've had time to do that before, but if I can't get a hold of him, we just, we say no and go on because there's, that's also the benefit of doing it this way. There's 50 more horses lined up behind. Him. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the, the hybrid way where we, we, we have somebody that looks out back while you're up, while you looks at the barns while you're out in the back ring. Right. And um, I think it's probably pretty important to, to point out that the person that we, that we hire to, to do that, to, to work with us that way, also learned from Dr. David Lambert. Yeah. So we use June Park uh for that he's a he is a uh, he's a bloodstock agent gosh he he might have learned his lessons from dr lambert better than we, we both uh he was my assistant that's how i met him i you know I, I got an assistant at one point he's the guy i hired and uh lambert had done the same thing with june as he'd done with me and we have found as time goes by there's no better person for each other to work with because we were taught the exact same way he knows what I like. I know what he likes. And uh, he's been very successful at what he does. I mean, he, he owns a horse that won a Dubai World Cup himself. Uh, uh, he won a big race uh, this past Dubai World Cup day. So, and that just goes to show you, June can go find his own horse and buy it and do well. You know, he doesn't need to be employed by anybody because he's got this skill. And I don't think we'd get June unless other than, you know, my relationship with him. So he, he gets paid a lot more by other people too, I think. But anyway, yeah, that works that, that that works out really well. We we're we couldn't be on the same page anymore than we are. Yeah. So um let's talk a little let's let's present you with some of our uh, submitted questions that, that we've gotten. Uh, and one of them is gonna kind of these aren't exactly all to do with process of picking out horses, but right. uh, they're somewhat related. So we have recently started uh, keeping a couple of mares, or a couple of our female horses, that right. uh, Philly's mares that have retired from racing. Um, and one of our listeners, one of our partners asked, you know, how, how you are determining which mares we're keeping to breed versus sell or retire and you know, move on to different uh, home whatever the case may be, what's, how does that, how does that thought process work? What are you evaluating and so forth? So what makes a good racehorse and what makes a good sales horse or not, you'd be surprised how different those two things are. So we might've bought this horse because we, we felt like this horse was a, a good racing prospect, but that doesn't automatically mean that they're a good broodmare prospect. Um, small horse, short horses run well short horses don't sell well. But to answer your question, I, when we bought this horse, 
I was concerned about whether or not it had the right things to become a, a good racehorse. When we're making that evaluation, I'm trying to determine, does it have what it needs to make a good sales horse? And what, so to do that, we want the big mares, uh, big sales. We want the, so if we bought a, a filly that we knew was on the small side, never grew much, it's going to be hard to invest a lot of money in her to get babies out of her. Black kittens come from black cats, you know. We don't want to be smel uh, smelling or selling uh, uh, small babies. Pedigree is obviously going to have something to do with Storm it. Temple Pilot, perfect example. Yeah, Storm Temple Pilot. We bought her. She costs God ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand. She earned over a hundred something. She she she. We were right to buy her, but we wouldn't have kept her as a broodmare because she was small. She was quite small, as a matter of fact, and we just didn't, we don't, we want to breed big babies to sell and not small. Uh, we might get a great value on a horse because it really has no pedigree and, but could be, uh, you know, there's nothing other than the pedigree. There's no reason it can't be a good racehorse, but that is going to be a hindrance in the, in the commercial market. So we're looking for the mares with fillies and mares with good size. They don't have, you know, considering the money we're spending, they don't have to have great pedigrees, but they have to have something sexy, something going on. And, and th those are, I would say, the two big, you know, we're generally buying good confirmation horses, good physicals. So, but I'm to, to go on with the breeding, I'm looking for the big ones and ones that, um, like I say, have a little flash sex appeal for what we paid uh those are the ones we we're looking to keep free okay jump jump in and this wasn't on the list you weren't expecting this but uh jump into that uh you know how we're picking out the the stallions to send them to as well it doesn't have to be a, a lot because we can have a whole another uh discussion about this but just just a real quick hitter you know like what, why an instagram for homer right. angel or matoli for spellbook or you know so forth so here's the other thing we're not Currently, this might change, but we're not breeding racehorses. We are breeding sales horses. That's that's the MO right there. Maybe we get into breeding racehorses, but we are breeding commercial horses to sell for as much money as we can. So I'm looking for the, and, and what the market loves right now is young, sexy sires, stuff that's just retired. They want the next big thing. So what we're doing is once we retire them, that we kind of determine what their value is. Once we understand what their value is, then that determines what kind of stud fee range we're looking at. You don't want to overbreed your mare. You don't want to be the worst of one of those stallions in the sale. You want to be the best of one of those stallions in the sale. So once you've got the value of a mare, you can kind of determine what stud fee level she needs to be at, whether it's five, 10, you know, I shouldn't say five. If, if you think she needs to be bred to a $5,000 stud, it, it's just hard to make money off those sires. But is it, does she need a 10,000, 20,000? If we would have kept Temple City Terror, would she have needed a $100,000 stud? Uh, so they'll, they'll, depending on the mare's value, they'll fit into what level stud fee they need. And then within those ranges, we're looking at just sex appeal, flash, 
buzz, uh, stallions that were what in, in the stallions that the market likes are the ones that showed speed at two and carried that speed over a route of ground at three or four. That is ideally the kind of stallion we're looking for. But the 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 the, the focus is is commercial appeal. It does so I'm I, I hope I'm getting this question right. But uh, the question was that it doesn't matter which state the mare is bred in from a broodmare desirability standpoint. I don't know. I, I assume that means you know what state the mare herself was born in. Right. But maybe it means uh, what state the babies fold out in. So maybe you could just hit both. Okay. As far as the first part, is she by into mischief in an Iowa bred? I mean, that's then, you know, then the Iowa isn't going to matter a ton if she's uh, an into mischief and got a good female family. Now, if you were, say you're an Ohio bred and you're by, it matters more if you're by an Ohio stallion, the stallion standing in Ohio, that would not be, that would have a negative commercial impact. But if you are a, uh, or an Ohio bred mare by a Kentucky sire, I don't think it's going to have much impact. So the, 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 the state bred, if you're, you know, in general, Minnesota, a, a New York, a Florida bred, I think it's 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 going to have a big negative a bigger negative impact if they're by stallions from that region. If they're Kentucky breds, if they're by Kentucky stallions, but that state bred, I don't see it having tremendous negative impact. Now, what was the second part of the question? Just uh, so you know, what 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 impact do you feel like maybe you know ha having that? Having that mare, you know, would we be better off having uh, just, and this is just an example because it's top of mind, you know, not top of mind, but just because we have, have her, would we be better off having sending Homeroom Angel to fall out in Ohio or someplace like that or New York or, you know, would yeah. that make the baby potentially more valuable? It can, yeah. Um, and I, I think these mares that that's something we need to be aware of and potentially do. We need to, I, Whatever it seems like in all the years I've been in the business, there um, sometimes you know at one point New York's the hot place. It used to be Florida, you know. For a while it was West Virginia. Everybody wanted West Virginia breads. If if you need if you've got a mare that needs a little help, that you know she was worth us keeping, but uh, you know if she could just get something that could could could. And what you're always trying to do with the produce out of the mare is either by the sale you're putting them in or the session you're putting them in, you're trying to make them a standout. You're trying to get people by the barn. If you think that your mayor needs to needs a little something extra to get people to come by the barn, then yes, if if Virginia certified is what everybody wants nowadays, then yes, it's it's good to it would be a good idea to to do that this one came in from several people okay uh and it's relevant right now because we, we we're we have finished the process from some but we're still working out uh, a couple of the others but uh, everybody wants to know how we're choosing a, a trainer for any you know any, any horse you know why, why does this one get this trainer and this one go to that trainer and another one go to another trainer yeah. Just kind of, and, and I know, you know, obviously you can't, uh, 
we've got so many horses that we're picking trainers for. You know, I don't expect you to get into details on all of them, but just kind of some generalities. Um, you know, what what are we thinking? Um, you know, in terms, of, you know, Brennan Walsh, he's a turf trainer. Man, we love getting the turf horses. Right, um, right. You know, stuff like that. So, well, to be honest, uh, part of it's talent. What are they showing us? We've got talent. We've got trainers at all levels. We need to put these horses where they can do their best, where they can win the most races. What are they showing? So that's, you know, I try to go to all these young horses, their breezes and their workouts and try to make a determination, sort them out on ability. And, and, and that'll be a factor. Now, the problem is myself, and I don't really think much of anybody can be 100% sure how much talent a horse has through just working three eights. And that's all we're going to do with them on the farm before we send them to the trainers. You could tell a horse was no good or, or not. Horse was struggling. That's, you can tell that, but how talented they are is, you know, it's very difficult going three eights. You really need to see those halves and five eights, but they're going to do that at the track. But we do our best. You know, I talked to Kevin a lot. I talked to, used to talk to Dermot. He's not there anymore about who we, you know, a pecking order on, you know, because we can get these horses to all levels. We may not be exactly right. It, it, you know, we, we get surprised that, so that is part of it. The other part of it, you kind of elaborated or brought up was each one of our trainers, I feel has their own strengths and weaknesses. And I, I feel like the owners sometimes would like to know who the trainers or the horses are going to, like when we buy them before they put their money in, they want to know who's going to train them. But I, f I just feel like it's so much more important to find out more as much as I can about these horses, their ability level, their, their surface preference, their personalities. Are they going to be backwards or forwards? Because, and there's a million other things, because we have made it a point to not just have one trainer and send this one trainer everything. And I, I think that's a good way to do it because not every trainer has the same strengths and weaknesses. So that's why it takes us a little longer. We're trying to learn as much as we can about these individual horses and they are individuals. They have their own personalities. They have their own quips and what they want. And I feel like some trainers can accommodate them better than others. So talent, surface, personality, try to learn as much as I can about them and, and and that usually takes up to freezing three eights and then when we need to make the decision I feel like we've got as much information as we can get about those young horses and try to place them with the right train yeah I, I, another piece of that you know and you and I've talked about this a lot and and I'll mention it just in regards to Banshee Moon you know she's not she's not breezing three furlongs yet so we're still uh, you know a, a ways off from trying to figure out exactly what we've got but susan's been talking about her since we bought her yeah susan yeah. susan wants that filly you know she yeah. really wants that filly yeah. and and the importance of having a trainer really want your horse in, in their barn it's yeah. a big deal yeah sometimes these things turn into a self-fulfilling prophecy you know a, a trainer's got something against the stallion that the horses buy 
So and and they might not even they might not even do it consciously. They just they hate this sire. So uh, you send the horse to the trainer, despite the fact that they just they might have been burned by this sire on three or four other horses, you know, and it it can turn itself into like I say a self fulfilling prophecy, and uh, the horse never had a chance because this trainer's got something against the sire. I, it is it is much better if our trainers are really enthusiastic. They are these horses' best cheerleaders, giving them every opportunity, every chance, and and that's that's a big part of it too. You know, uh, I want them I want them to be excited about getting these horses. Well, and I read a study somewhere once that said that um, horses, because of by nature being a a herd animal. Horses are very observative uh, creatures, and if they notice that you know the their trainer, the environment around them is very positive, it's very upbeat. It's it just feels better than someone who's always kind of just gives them the side eye. Um, yeah, it, it can impact how they view generally their their environment, and it could you know impact how they respond to new things and new situations. Yeah, uh, I I agree with that. You know. Uh, the 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 environment they're in it, it needs to be yeah um they they need to it's better if they're the focus you know mm -hmm. if if um all the you know the trainer's energy and the focus is 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 on your horse you know you i guess what i'm saying you don't want your horse getting lost in this trainer's barn you don't want them being just another horse in the barn for the reasons you're saying yeah an afterthought because yeah. no one likes feeling that way. <laughs> right, right, right. Not even your horse. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, the our our final uh, uh, partner submitted question, um, and I think the easiest way to ask you this, if you could name a horse, let's you know, we've got we got two uh, unnamed fillies right now. If you could name them yourself, mm -hmm. uh, what name? What would their names be? And and give us one for a cult too. Oh, uh, let me consult my list of names. Well, <laughs> um, one of them would be Fuzzy Britches. <laughs> uh, that 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 has a permanent veto uh, okay. for me. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, you wanted two Philly names, or give, give me give me give me a name for a Perfect K21 and Mirabelle Magic 21. Fuzzy Britches. And you've already told me you won't do jailbait, right? Yeah, I think jailbait has got a slightly negative connotation. Okay. Uh, you might have to edit that out of the podcast, right? <laughs> Especially given the number of trainers getting arrested lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, Holy Terror. Fuzzy Britches and Holy Terror. That's fascinating. Holy Terror. Yep. Love Holy Terror. I love that name. Uh, and, for, for the Temple City of Terror Philly. And for, can I give you two for a cult? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, the first one is Chevy Chase Inn. Love it. And the <laughs> other one is Scissor Kick. Fantastic. All right. So when you guys see those names popping up on the short list <laughs> uh, of names, you know, you know, know that, that Mark loves them. <laughs> Uh, I expect somebody will probably submit those names now that they've heard. Yep. I yeah. absolutely so, uh, foresee that now. Yeah. <laughs> I have a list that I keep a running list on my phone of horse names, but you know, if I, 
you know, just driving around and you hear something on the radio, you know, I, I, I write it down on my phone list. So, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to go off topic here real quick. Yeah. Um, most people probably don't know this, but some probably do. Mark and I are diehard, lifelong Cincinnati Reds fans. <laughs> and um, we've been a little disappointed over the last few years, quite frankly, since they fired Dusty Baker. And yes, Dusty Baker, there were, you know, I got frustrated with him as manager at times because I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around what he was doing. But damn it, he had them winning ball, ball games every year. You know, they they won games. They didn't get far, and you know, maybe they didn't make the postseason, but they were always right there. And they started red the, podcast, man. And they, but they've been in the tank ever since. So last year, uh, Mark and I had a wager because I was I was very down. I'm, I'm very down on the ownership and, uh, and front office personnel and all that. And so we bet. Uh, and so last year, the bet was you know that. I suggested that the Reds were going to lose 100 games. Mark said I was crazy. They lost 100 games. Uh, so this year, uh, so I was right last year. But this year, uh, the bet was they, that we, they would lose at least 93 games. And uh, hell, if they aren't uh, over 500 <laughs> right now and yeah. in second place in the division and playing incredible baseball. And Go I want to give – Kudos to Mark for having the faith and optimism in, uh, before this season started in our beloved Cincinnati Reds. And so, say, uh, well done. Well, thank you. But we both know that um, when it comes to Cincinnati Reds, I am a turn. I, I will make that bet every year. It doesn't matter what they did the year before. I'm going to go in their favor every year. So one of these years, they had to have done okay. <laughs> it had to work out for you sooner or later. <laughs> now you tend to be, you're one of those fans that you love the Reds, but you tend to be an eternal pessimist about how they're going to do. <laughs> well, but no, I, I used to not be. I, I again, I go back to when Dusty Baker was was managing. I had hope and optimism every year, but I have not seen them since they fired him for no. That's a good thing you blame. Damn good out. reason at all, other than Bob Castellini wanted to make a change, and yeah. and, and and Brian Price basically made a made a power play to get Dusty fired and get his job. <laughs> uh, they haven't made any moves that, that I have supported in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> and so I've been very upset and very angry. Now David Bell's starting to grow on me a little bit. Yeah. Still think it was a questionable move, and he's and he's certainly he's learned a lot since he joined since he took over as manager, having never managed at any level previously. Um, which uh, that's a whole another topic, but anyway, <laughs> they're heading in the right direction. Bring up Ellie De La Cruz, holy hell, that kid can play! That kid and, can um, play great. Now, I did know that they had a lot of good, uh, my young so anyway, enough about the Reds, Mark. Yeah. Thanks for hopping on here. <laughs> They, right. they do. They absolutely do. So, um, so we've got. I, I have taken. I've taken several notes here, and I've got a list of topics for several more uh, visits from you, and uh, and 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 I hope we can get you on here much more regularly than we have so far. Uh, it just kind of hadn't worked out timing wise, but yeah, uh, that's uh, fine. I am. Uh, I've heard so much positive feedback, and I've heard so much buzz about it, so I, I'm I'm glad I've finally gotten to be a part of it. Not through, I mean, I, you know, you all have had to line up good guests, and you know, I'm I'm you know where I am. I'm available anytime. Yep. So we're gonna I've got we're gonna we're gonna have you. You're gonna be on very regularly going forward, and because uh, I've got a whole whole list of topics, uh, including you know 
we'll probably talk some more Cincinnati Reds baseball. We'll probably talk Pittsburgh Steelers and um, and uh, maybe even Kentucky Wildcats uh, football and basketball and baseball and the whole nine yards. As far as um, horses go, I would I would like to get on my soapbox about breakdowns and uh, you know uh, over the years. Absolutely, we need a Laurel, the recent one at Churchill. Um, you know, I, I just feel like I've got I've seen some things happening over my career, and um, there's you know I've got things in my mind about if I were you know king for a day of, of horse racing or the thoroughbred business and um uh, those would be timely topics anyway. I, I say uh patty get him on the schedule and let's make that the next one yeah yeah i have to i'm gonna start scheduling july so all right deal. we'll do that good deal well thank thanks everybody for tuning in uh once yeah. again we've gone way over time hell we've gone an hour and a half we may have to turn this into a two-parter <laughs> Because I rambled on. I, I, I No, no. I think you gave you gave fantastic answers to questions that, that people had and, and and that people ask on a regular basis. So uh, you know, it's very enlightening. And, and you know, I, people ask me these questions and you know, I can give them a, a general explanation of what you do, but hell, I'm not the expert. Like I said, I, I know I know I, I can just about take you know, 25% of the horses that I look at that I know you would take off the list, I, I'm able to take them off the list. But uh, that's about as far as I get. I can eliminate a few a few things that we look at that I know you're not going to like. But other than that, I'm very dangerous. So. Yeah, well, something, <laughs> what is easier is eliminating bad horses. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about getting you more up to speed with that. And that's something... I think within your grasp, with not much more, not a, the 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 basics aren't ter. It's you know I've explained the basics of it. It's not terribly difficult. It's to like do it really well and pick out good horses. It's you know the the first eighty percent is easy to learn. It's that next twenty percent you'll spend a lifetime trying to figure out you know and the only way you can do it like you mentioned earlier is looking at thousands of horses tons of horses tons of tons of well good news jared you're gonna have plenty of time to do that now (laughs) yeah full time that's right well everybody thanks so much for tuning in for this let's talk let's call this a big boy episode this was a big boy so thank you everybody for turning for tuning in i hope you all enjoyed your snacks and your sit down um our listener count slowly rises and we are appreciating everybody's support once again make sure that you subscribe to our spotify and our apple stream when it comes available and then as well as tuning in to our youtube channel starting sometime next month when we start releasing new features and new projects that are coming down the pipeline And on that note, does anybody have any last words they'd like to add before the podcast signs out? Goodbye. Um, (laughs) uh, We still have some shares in some of these horses. And come on, people. They're they're too good. Too nice. Get on it. Yeah, what he said. That's my final word. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Yep. Well, there you go. And as always.